Good morning. It is a blessing that as God's church we can meet here in peace and freedom. We warmly extend a welcome to everyone here and also those joining us via the live stream. We also extend a special welcome to the visitors who have joined us this morning. It is our hope and prayer that the worship service, including the gospel message about our eternal home, will glorify God and encourage us in our service of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock. This morning the worship service will be led by Brother Plater. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn 65, sorry, 68, verses 1, 5 and 8. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please rise if you are able for worship.
As we come as God's people into his presence, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue worship and sing praises to our God with the words of Psalm 150 verses 1 through 3.
So it's at this point in the worship service that we humble ourselves before the law of the Lord and test our lives on it as a, as a rule of thankfulness and also as a way of seeing our own sinfulness. And from there we, we look to Christ for our salvation. And so here now the, the ten words of God's covenant law as we have it in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 verse 6 through to the end. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And this is even more so for us today. God has rescued us not from the land of Egypt, from bondage to a physical enemy, but from bondage to sin. And so we hear the gospel in these words, where he has set us free from our sins in Christ. And God continues, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far from God's holy law, let us now sing in response to God's law, Psalm 77, verse 5, which in this psalm we bless God for his work of salvation. So Psalm 77, verse 5. Oh, 
Let's now pray to God and ask for his blessing on this worship service. Let us pray. Almighty God and glorious Father, we come to you, our strong defender. You are most holy, you are great in splendor. Father, there is nothing in the world that compares to you. There is nothing that can be held up and shown to be in the same category as you. You are all completely different. You're all completely other. You are holy. And Father, you show your might and your splendor in the salvation that you have worked. Already way back when you commanded your people to, to worship you and to keep your Sabbath, you told them to worship and gather because you delivered them. You brought them out of Egypt by your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. Your strong arm redeemed them and freed them. It was so that they, a sinful people and a holy people, could be holy as their Father is holy. And Father, we thank you that this is even more true for us this morning. Lord, we gather as a people who've been delivered not from, from Pharaoh, from bondage into slavery, but the slavery of our sin. And Father, we thank you that you've showed your, your splendor and your, your power through this great work of salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we marvel at this and we thank you that this is the way in which that we can come to into your presence this morning. Lord, we praise you because we acknowledge that we are so desperately in need of your salvation. We are in desperate need of your grace. Lord, we, we look back on this week, look even yesterday, or even, Lord, we think of this morning, and we confess our sins. We've heard your law, which is good, which is whole, which is perfect. And Lord, we know that you, that you saw the entertainment that we watched. You saw the way we, we reacted to our kids. You saw the way we conducted ourselves at work or at school. You saw all of that. And Father, you heard us when we lied. You heard us when we gossiped. You heard the way we spoke to our spouses. You heard the way that we spoke to the people that we worked with. And Father, we, we acknowledge that you judge us. Because our sins are heinous to you. And your law condemns us as sinners. And therefore we pray that you would forgive us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need your salvation. And so please cover our shame. Please acquit us of our guilt. And please change our hearts. Lord, use your word as we hear it proclaimed. And also as we sing it aloud. Use it powerfully. May your spirit himself revive our hearts and transform our desires. So that we may, that we may love you as we ought. For Lord, without the Spirit, it's just another Bible passage. Without the Spirit to transform our minds, it's just another sermon and it's just another Sunday. And so we ask that He would work powerfully in our midst, that He would abide in our hearts, and that He would change us and transform us by Your Word. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has sent forth the Helper to help us worship You as we ought. Amen. So this morning, it's my intention to preach God's Word as it comes to us in Genesis 50. And in preparation for that, we'll read a few passages from Genesis, Genesis 35 and also Genesis 47. So one of the things that you'll notice when you read the book of Genesis, especially Genesis 12, is that God gives His people these four promises. He comes to Abram and He says, I will be your God, that you will be my people, and that I will make you a great nation. And then also that I will make you a great nation and bring you to a land which I will show you. 
and you will be a people who are blessed. And so this theme comes back really strongly in our passage this morning. And so in preparation for that, we'll read uh, from Genesis 35, uh, 9 through 15, and then also Genesis 47, verses 28 through 31. So Genesis 35, verse 9, and this is when God appears to Jacob and gives him the same promises. So Genesis 35, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abram and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then Genesis 47. Genesis 47, we'll read the verses 28 through to the end of the chapter. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight... Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So far from God's word. Let us now sing, sing uh, Psalm 105 which retells the events of Genesis, Psalm 105, the verses 10, 13, and 15.
So the text for this morning's service is Genesis 49. Now last week we dealt with the blessing and so we will continue with the death of Jacob. This is in Genesis 49 verse 29 and we'll read through 50 to 14 and that will be our text. So Genesis 49 verse 29. Then he, that is Jacob, commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abram bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abram and Sarah his wife, there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abu Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded him. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abram bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So far, the reading of God's word. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we will sing from him 51 verses 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, this past week on Tuesday we celebrated Anzac Day. It's a a day that commemorates all those who have died in in wars and in conflicts and peacekeeping missions, both both past and and present. 
And so it's an important day not only for, for the nation and then also for the veterans who have taken part in these different conflicts, but also for the families of those whose loved ones were killed in action or killed in, in some of these different wars. And one of the key aspects of celebrating Anzac Day is the, the repatriation of fallen soldiers. So this is making sure that the bodies of the Australians who have fought overseas and who died in action are, are brought home to be buried in Australia. So in 1966, the government uh, changed the repatriation laws, which meant that families of Australians who were killed overseas could ask, that the loved ones could ask that the bodies of these men be brought back at the government's expense. And so the whole idea is for the family to bring back their loved ones to the place where they belong. This happened a, a few years ago, I think it was 2014, the bodies of 33 fallen Australian servicemen were, were brought back from Malaysia, so these were men who had fought in the Vietnam War, and they were brought back. And so it was at the family's request. And it makes sense, after all, they're Australian citizens, men who fought for the freedom of their country, and so they belong here. And so they should come here. Now, congregation, in our passage, we have a sort of repatriation, you could say. Although Jacob wasn't a soldier, we have the body of Jacob being brought out of Egypt where his home was in the promised land. And this burial procession, unlike these other incidences where the families ask that the body be brought there, it was, it was a request of Jacob himself. He was an heir of the promise. The promised land was his, that God had given him. And so therefore in our text, we, we see the, bo the body of a citizen of promise being brought to the land of promise. You see, what we see here is that our faithful God brings Jacob out of Egypt and into the land of promise. And in so doing, he greatly encourages not only Jacob's family who are living in Egypt, but also the Israelites as they wander through the wilderness. And also, as we'll see, it's a great encouragement for us today as we journey to the promised land. You see, it's an encouragement that our faithful God will bring us to our eternal home in the promised land. And so that's our theme this morning. God will bring you to your eternal home in the promised land. So we'll see three things to develop that message. God's promise is professed by the patriarch, it's beckoned by the burial, and it's secured by the cross. So firstly then we see that this promise is professed by the patriarch. So at this time Jacob is on his deathbed and he's giving his final words to his sons. So last week we saw that he, he blessed his sons. And this wasn't just uh, an old father doting on his sons, it was actually prophetic. These were words that spoke to each of the sons and it spoke about their future. Not only their future, but the future of the tribe that would come from them. And it was a future that was spoken of in light of how they had acted in the past. And so some of them, Jacob blesses them and they receive great favor, great blessing. And others receive warnings and even a curse. Now we also noted when we looked at the blessings that this was actually a, quite a statement of faith that Jacob blessed his sons. You see, at this point in Jacob's life, he had only received partially the promises that God had given to him. We just think of the promise of family. So his family had turned into this significant clan, but it was nowhere near the nation that God had promised. 
Or if you think of living in the land of promise, just think of where they are right now. They're in Egypt. And why are they in Egypt? Well, it was because there was such a great famine in the land that they could not live there. And so here he is outside of the promised land, living as a stranger. And even if you think of the only part that he actually owned, it was this little burial site. The one with a little picket fence and a nice oak tree, or a.k.a. a cave in Machpelah. And yet, what we see is that in his final words, Jacob spoke confidently of the inheritance that not only was his, but also what was his son's. The future he passed on to his sons wasn't in Egypt, but it was in the promised land. It was in Canaan. As the letter of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 21, it says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. So as by faith, he blessed not only the sons of Joseph, but also his other sons. And yet the testimony of his faith doesn't stop there. Because by faith, he not only believed that the future of his sons was in Canaan, and that they belonged there, but he also believed that he himself belonged in the promised land. And so he commands his sons, don't bury me in Egypt. We read that in verse 29 through, uh, through, 30, through to 33. He says there, he tells his sons, he says, go bury me in the place that Abram purchased as a burial site. So if you recall that, that passage in Genesis 23, it speaks about this event. So Abram's wife Sarah had died, and so he goes to the Hittites. And he asked to purchase a, fee, a, a, a cave in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre. So he purchased this cave, and this was the burial site that was passed on, not only from Abram, but to Isaac and also to Jacob. And so he says, there they buried Abram and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And that's where I want to be buried. So bury me there. And this wasn't the first time that he made this request. We read that in Genesis 47. He makes Joseph swear to him. He says, don't bury me here in Egypt, but bury me in Canaan. Genesis 47, verse 30 to 31. It says there, let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, that's Joseph. He says, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon his bed, uh, upon the head of his bed. So he's let me lie with my fathers, he says. And that's key, congregation. Because notice how Jacob doesn't request to be buried with Rachel. If you recall, Rachel was the one that he loved. She was his high school sweetheart. She was his waterwell crush. She was his favorite. But he doesn't ask to be buried with Rachel. He asks to be buried with Leah. And with the rest of the family, with Abram, with Isaac, uh, and the rest of the family there in memory. And so here, what he's doing, he's not just fixing his eyes and, and saying, making these beautiful funeral arrangements, sorting it out for his sons. But he's fixing his eyes on the promise. The promise which said, I will give you a land, the land of Abraham, the land of Isaac. The promise that I will give you, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. It was Genesis 48, verse 4, he said, Jacob says that. So Jacob says, bring me. Bring me to that everlasting possession that God had promised me and also my family. 
Bring me home, he says. He wanted them to bring him back to the place he belonged. And so what we see that behind the command to his sons, there is a statement of faith. There is a sure confidence in the promises of God. And it's after he commands his sons this that he, that he breathes his last. Verse 33 says, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Now what a beautiful way to go. He curls up under the covers, he closes his eyes, and he breathes his last. There's no pain, there's no struggle, there's no intensity there at all. Jacob was at rest, he was at peace, and he died full of faith. Which is quite noteworthy, because this is very different to the Jacob that we have met earlier. I think right after Joseph was sold into slavery, Jacob was consumed with grief and he said, No, I shall go down to my son to Sheol in mourning. And then in Genesis 42, when his sons are saying, We've got to go to Egypt to find some grain, he is worried that he's going to be left bereaved of all his children. And so there he is trying desperately to hold on to his family. And then later in Genesis 47, when he appears to the Pharaoh, he says to him that the days of his sojournings were few and evil. Yes, there are glimpses of his faith. But overall, we see Jacob as a man who is just bogged down, who is broken by the circumstances of his life, and who is disillusioned with the path that God is taking him on. But here he's totally different. Here he dies at peace, full of faith. He doesn't go down to Sheol but he passes away in peace. So congregation, what has changed? What has changed between then and now? What you see is that God used those 17 years in Egypt. He used those years to encourage Jacob. God was incredibly kind to him and impressed upon him his, his love and his faithfulness. He didn't die bereaved of all his children, but he died surrounded by his children. As Jacob says to Joseph, he says, I never expected to see your face, and yet here I am, and I see your, your children as well. So the Almighty God blessed him and, and helped him to see his goodness and helped him to see how all God's promises were really on track, how God was at work caring for his people, making sure that Jacob and his family would survive and become that great nation he promised. And so this is all what gave him peace. He saw God faithfully at work. And it gave him peace. And so he dies in peace. In congregation, this speaks powerfully to us about the moments before we die. You see, the only way that we can face death's door in peace is by fixing our eyes on the promises of God. God's promise to us in the gospel that he is making us new creations... And that he is going to bring us to this new heavens and this new earth where there will be no pain, where there will be no death. Where he promises to bring us to himself, that where he is, we will also be. And so it is with the eyes of faith that we will experience that peace in those moments. In those moments as we stare death in the face. Or in those moments in our twilight years. That is when we'll experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. 
You see, maybe you're entering those years of your life and it scares you. Maybe you wonder about you know, how things will go with your family. You wonder about how things will go with your grandchildren. Or you wonder about how things will go with the church. And you wonder, how is that peace possible? But notice how Jacob didn't come to that on his own. Notice how God prepared Jacob for this. God prepared his child for his death. As we mentioned earlier, the Jacob that we see here in Genesis 50, I mean Genesis 49 on his deathbed, is very different to the Jacob we saw earlier. Before he was this struggling man who who struggled to comprehend the circumstances of his life. He struggled to, to see his way through his life. It was all too much for him. But then God encourages him and transforms his doubts into this sure faith. The sure faith that he blesses his sons with. And maybe this is something that you've witnessed yourself. Walking alongside a friend or a loved one. Maybe they're struggling with a a disease or with some other difficult circumstance. And you saw that God showed them immense kindness and, and brought them to this place of peace. This place of certainty. And then so they passed away. And they passed away full of faith. Fully assured of the glorious future that was in store for them. And you saw in those final moments, you saw them profess their faith that God would bring them to their eternal home. You see, it's a powerful thing. It's a life-changing thing to witness that. And you see, this is what God does for his people. They don't go through death by themselves, but he prepares them for that. Just like he prepared Jacob here for his death, he will also prepare you. He will prepare you for glory, for that moment when you pass from death to life in the new heavens and the new earth, when when your faith will become sight. See, that's how we die in peace. And here he does. He dies peacefully and fully convinced of God's promises. Fully confident in who God is. To use the words of Hebrews, Jacob was fully assured of the things hoped for, fully convicted of the things not yet seen. Although he was dying in a foreign country in Egypt, with the eyes of faith, he was fully convinced that he belonged in the land of promise. And he set his heart on it. Bring me home. Bring me to the place that God promised me. And so after his death, we see that the mourning begins. That's what we see in the second place. God promises, is beckoned by the burial. So what follows in our text is an elaborate description of Jacob's burial and his his procession, funeral procession. And he receives this, this royal burial. It's full of honor. He's embalmed, he's mummified like one of the royalty in Egypt. So embalming was this practice where the the body was preserved by taking the internal organs out and putting spices in there and wrapping it with linen. And this was the type of burial that the pharaohs would receive. And then if you look, the days of his weeping were only two days short of that of Pharaoh himself. And so this this is a royal birth. And then if you look at his, the, the funeral procession that goes off to Egypt, 
Verse 7 through 8, it says, So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brother, and his father's household. So all the dignitaries of the state were there. This wasn't just a family affair. It was a national event. The leading officers of Pharaoh's courts were there. If you want to think of it in a way, you can think of, you know, they pretty much flew his body out in one of those big military planes, in a coffin with a nice, the, the flag of the promised land draped over it, with all the dignitaries, with all the honor. Or to give another image, you can think of the queen's funeral, this beautiful procession working its way through England, with all the dignitaries, with all the royalty, with all the different important people there. That's the kind of burial that Jacob gets. It's a royal burial. It's even, it's so great that the Canaanites themselves are scratching their heads wondering who this great significant Egyptian is who's died. It says there in verse 11 of, of chapter 50, when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. It was a grand burial, a national event. The congregation, what is the significance of this? Was it simply that the Egyptians, they loved Joseph so much and so they give Joseph's father, Jacob, this beautiful burial procession? Why the impressive funeral? Like if you think about it, you'd expect this for Joseph, not Jacob. So Jacob gets this grand burial, but then when you read in chapter 50, right at the end about Joseph's burial, he gets a one-liner, one verse. It says in verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's it. And so congregation, what's going on? Well, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that Jacob was the father of the nation of Israel. Remember Jacob's name, God changed it to Israel. And the whole story of Joseph, as we've noted before, is not just about Joseph, but it's about Jacob's family. It's about the nation of Israel. And then if you think of the blessings last week, the blessings spoke prophetically about the tribes of the nation of Israel. And this burial is no different. It's speaking to the future of the nation of Israel. You see, the language used here in our passage comes back in the Exodus. So notice, before Jacob died, he said to Joseph, he said, God will be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. And then if you look, when Joseph dies, he says to the sons of, of Jacob, he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. And bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So both said, God is going to bring you up out of Egypt. So both were convinced that God would bring his people home. So convinced was Joseph that he even tells them, don't bury me, but take my bones and bring them to Israel, to the promised land. That's how sure he was that God was going to do this. And Jacob's burial is the same. You see, what's happening here is that God is signaling to his people what he's going to do. He's signaling to them that I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you to that promised land. It's a signal of the exodus that is coming. And the passage is full of exodus language. So if you look at how many times in the, the first few verses of chapter 50 that it says they went up. They went up. 
mentions multiple times. So when Joseph asked Pharaoh, he says, you know, I promised my father, and he said, bring me up. Let me go up. And then it tells us of all the different people who went up. You see, in Exodus 3, verse 17, that's the same language that God uses to describe what he's going to do for his people. So in Exodus 13, it's only a few, a few pages over. Ex, sorry, Exodus 3, verse 17, he's speaking to Moses. And he says there, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I will bring you up. And then, if you look at the passage, a lot of the the terms, so it talks about servants of Pharaoh, flocks, herds, chariots, horses, encampments, all that language, it comes back again in the story of the Exodus. In Exodus 14, it tells us that so God brought, started bringing Israel out and the Egyptians turn around and they pursue him. And it says all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook Israel and camped at the sea. The wording is similar. And so what is going on? The Holy Spirit is telling us. He wants us to see in the, in the burial of Jacob. He wants us to see that as kind of a mini exodus. He wants us to see that this is the first fruit of a greater exodus that is to come. When God was going to bring all his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Now if you think maybe this is a bit of a stretch, just look at the route that the funeral procession procession takes. So normally, if you're going to Canaan... So let's just say you have the Jordan River here, you have, this is the west side where the Philistines are, and then you have east. Well, normally if you're going from Egypt, you would go up east into Canaan. But the funeral procession doesn't go west, it goes east. And and the thing is, the west route is the most direct route. And what's interesting, that is the exact, it's a similar route that the Israelites took to the land of Canaan. It says in Exodus 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people of go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. So that's the west side. He didn't lead them on the west, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Reed Sea. He brought them east. And so here in Jacob's burial, the procession doesn't go west, it goes east. Now, if you were a first Israelite reading this passage, you would have noticed that straight away. And see, what an encouragement that would be. You see, God is saying, I am going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you to Egypt, um, out of Egypt to the promised land. And so for the Israelites, as they walked day in and day out in the wilderness, they could see God would bring them. It said that regardless of what they were experiencing, regardless of what they were going through, God would be true to his word and he would bring them to that place. It was certain. You see, isn't that exactly what Israel struggled with as they were walking through the wilderness? They wondered whether or not it was all for real. They struggled with that fact. Some even thought, you know, we're turning around. And they tried to turn around and go back to Egypt. Because they despaired of the promise of God. And they were filled with unbelief. And some even cast their lot in with the nations around them. 
They started living like the other peoples because they, they, didn't, they weren't fully convinced that the promised land was coming and that God was going to bring them home. And so they started living like the nations, investing into this world. And so this passage was a beacon of hope. It was a sure pledge. It said, no, you don't belong in Egypt. You belong in the promised land. God, just as he brought Jacob up out of, out of Egypt and into the promised land, so he's going to bring you. He's going to bring you there to your home, to the place that he's prepared for you, the place that is your everlasting possession. Now, brothers and sisters, how often do we find ourselves in that similar place? God has promised us in this gospel this glorious future in store for us, this glorious inheritance. He promises that he's going to transform us and prepare us for the place, that, uh, for the new heavens and the new earth, where there's going to be no sin and where there's going to be no death. And yet sometimes we struggle to believe that. We experience certain circumstances and we're filled with doubt. Or the promise becomes sort of a minor point in our life and we start investing in the here and now because, well, you know, that's all there is. And so maybe we permit ourselves to live in certain sins or we give in to other sins because we're not convinced that God is going to bring us home to our eternal home. And so the Spirit is saying to us, He's saying, no, this is not your home. You don't belong here. And by faith, Jacob trusted that God would bring him home. His burial testified to that. So believe, trust, because God will bring you home. You don't belong here, my child. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. And I will bring you there. You can be certain of that. Well, congregation, how can we be certain of that? was because God has secured that future through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our third point. You see, the Israelites, as they're walking through the wilderness, they could remember the faith of Jacob. They could remember what happened in his burial. They could even look at the bones that they were carrying. And they could look forward with anticipation to that glorious future. And this is no different for us. But in a, in a way, we can have greater confidence. We can have greater, uh, greater surety in our faith. For God has secured this for his people through Jesus Christ. He has sent Christ in the world to suffer, to die on the cross, and to be resurrected from the dead. So that we might be brought home with him. You see, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make us worthy of that inheritance. Because, brothers and sisters, it is only those who are holy, it's only those who are righteous that can be and dwell in the promised land that God has in store. And by nature, we're not righteous. We saw our sins. We just confessed that earlier this morning as we saw the commandments. We saw our sins. We see our need for holiness. And so God says, here is Christ. He covers your holiness. And so now you can enter into my eternal rest. You can enter into that promised land. And so he gets rid of the thing that prohibits us from being part of that glorious future. And then what is more, Jesus lived that perfect life and so he secures the righteousness that we need and the holiness that we need and so that we can be full of confidence that God will give this to us. And then he suffered. 
suffered and he died. And then what happened next, brothers and sisters? He rose again from the dead. And as scripture says, it's the, as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. As the first fruits of the grave. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so his resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection that where he is, we will one day be. Just think of what happened with Jacob. He said, bury me in that place. Why? Because you're going to go there as well. Because God is going to bring you to his eternal home. And what is more, Christ has ascended into heaven. And as the catechism says, he's ascended into heaven as a sure pledge that he is going to take us his people, he's going to take you, his people, to himself, to that eternal glory and to that eternal joy. He's gone ahead of us, but he's not going to leave us behind. He's going to bring us to where we belong as citizens of the new heavens and the new earth because he secured that by his death. You see, it was by faith. It was by faith in God's promises that Jacob received the promised inheritance. It was by faith that he set his mind on that glorious future. And brothers and sisters, it's by faith in Jesus Christ that you too can be assured of your eternal home, that God will bring you there. It's by faith in him that you receive that, the founder and the perfecter of faith, that we all hear that we become heirs of that promised land, of that glorious future inheritance the new heavens and the new earth. You see, we are foreigners here. This is not our home. This is not our home. And so as you live, don't get sucked into that. But keep your eyes fixed on that glorious future. Have your eyes set on with the eyes of faith. Behold that future that is coming. Don't become despondent, but hold on in faith. Because you are a citizen of heaven. As, as Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if that's where we belong, God is not going to leave us behind. God will bring us home. Christ is a guarantee of that. You see, the promised land is calling. We're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then, we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. We're almost home. We're almost home. So let's press on toward that blessed shore and let's praise the Lord because we're almost home. Amen. Let us now sing in response hymn 51 verses 1 through 3.
prayer this morning we'll remember a few things we'll bring them before the Lord so firstly we'll thank the Lord that with Wally and Leone that Wally is doing quite well and that his recovery is going well he's even looking to come home from the hospital and so we'll thank God for blessing uh, his recovery and then we'll also uh, thank God for also being with our sister Issa Rapley as she had a, a surgery this past week and that also went well so we'll bring that before the Lord and then also we'll, we'll thank God that he is uh, that Sean and uh, Sean Dykstra and also Lauren Howling could be engaged this past week. And so we'll bring those matters before the Lord. So let's pray. God in heaven, you tell us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, sometimes we, we can see our circumstances, we can see the situations that we're in, And it can make us doubt our faith and question. Sometimes we can doubt that glorious future that you have in store for us. And then we turn and we look to this world to to fill what only you can. And Lord God, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. That just as you brought Jacob home to the, the promised land, you will bring us to our eternal home in the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you, Father, that for the sake of Christ, we are citizens of that glorious future. That this fallen world isn't our home. It's not where we belong. And so, Father, help us to lift our eyes that we may confidently await our future glory. Lord, we also pray in that respect for those who are with us who are aging. We have a few members who are in the twilight years of their life. Daily they grapple with the breakdown of the mind and of the body. And sometimes they struggle with constant pain or wrestle with questions of purpose or even are not able to worship with us because of their situation. And Father, we pray that you'd be with them. Do not cast them away in their old age. Do not forsake them now that their strength is gone. But be to them their secure shelter. Be a strong fortress, their refuge and defense. Lord, help them to declare your power to the next generation. Lord, please show them your kindness and your favor. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is with us in every part of life, from the beginning and also at the end. And so we we pray that you would show our elderly brothers and sisters a rich measure of your love and your grace. And Father, we also pray for our brother and sister Wally and and Leonie Tenhaf. Lord, thank you for richly blessing our brother. Thank you for blessing his recovery. We thank you that Leone and, and the family are, were able to talk with him and have conversations with him. 
and that Wally can actually look forward to coming home soon. Lord, this is a marvelous turn of events. Lord, before things were looking very serious. But Lord, you have heard prayer and you have answered them so beautifully. Thank you for watching over our brother and sister. Lord, we pray that you'd please be with our sister Leonie. Thank you for the care and the love that she shows to her husband. Thank you for how she was by his side and was with him. Father, thank you for her love and her care. We pray that you would continue to bless her now, even as she looks ahead to Wally coming home, and as she continues to care for him. Lord, grant a special measure of your grace as well. Lord, things have been, it's been such a journey for that family. Things have gone up and things have gone down. And so we pray that you give them strength and that you continue to comfort them. Lord, also bless them with the communion of saints that they would receive the help that they need as well. So Lord, we, we bring our brother and sister before your throne. And Lord, we also think too of those who are recuperating from hospital stays. We think particularly of our sister Issa uh, Rapley. Lord, thank you for blessing the surgery that she received earlier this week on her back. Please bless her recovery and her healing. Give her much patience. And may you be with her. We thank you for Ian. We pray that you would bless him as he cares for his, his wife. And Lord, surround them with your love and faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that Ian and Isa are in our midst. And we pray that you continue to bless their journey of faith and, and bless them as they, they walk with you and also walk with us. Father, we pray too that you would be with Lauren and Sean. We thank you that they could be engaged this past week. What a special moment. We ask that you would bless them as they make their preparations for the wedding day, not only for the wedding day, but also for their marriage. Father, grant that they would do this in the Lord. Lord, fill them with much joy as they anticipate uh, that future ahead. Father, please watch over them and, and bless them. Lord, also grant them purity in this as well and be with them as they make all the preparations that they need to do. Father, we also thank you that we have an opportunity to give our gifts. We thank you that we as churches can also care for the churches that are surrounding us. We think particularly of the Indonesian churches. Please bless the offering. We pray that this would, be, would help contribute to the spread of the gospel in Indonesia. Lord, we thank you that your gospel is going forth in all the world. And that we look forward to that glorious day when we will not only worship with, with us here in Australia, but we'll worship with every tribe, with every nation, with every tongue. And we'll do so surrounding your throne, singing praises to your glorious name, of which this worship service is but a little taste. Father, please bless our offerings and bless the rest of this worship service and also this day of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you now have an opportunity to give of your, your thank offerings to God. And as mentioned, the thank offering this morning is for the Indonesian churches. And then afterwards, we'll sing from hymn 66, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Receive now the blessing of your faithful God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.